Greetings. Welcome to St. Dominic's Weekly. Today, a special show, an in memoriam for Bishop Robert Francis Christian, one of our own who passed away suddenly recently. We've had since then the vigil, the funeral, and the burial. Today, I want to do a number of things. First of all, to simply just read the obituary for those who perhaps didn't get a chance to see it or read it. And then transition to a little bit of reflection with Father Isaiah on our own kind of feelings and experience of, um, of his passing and some reflections uh, from our own uh, relationship with uh, Bishop Robert. And then finally, I'd like to repost an interview that I did with Bishop Robert right after he was named as bishop before he was actually installed, sat down with him for about a half an hour of um, reflection and his own state of mind. And, and very looking back on it, a nice moment of, of insight into his own sense of uh, his ministry, his time as student master, and what he was kind of looking forward to. And even though he was only bishop for a little over a year, some of the things he was able to accomplish in that very short time. So just begin uh, by reading the, the obituary. Uh, bishop Robert Christian it was the 18th Auxiliary Bishop of San Francisco, and he was also the President Rector of St. Patrick's Seminary and University. And he passed away in his sleep on July 11th uh, this year, 2019, at his residence in the seminary in Menlo Park, and he was 70 years of age. He was certainly a proud fourth-generation native of San Francisco, and he was born on December 2nd, 1948, at St. Mary's Hospital, the first of seven children of Robert Francis Christian and Gloria Peggs Christian, both of who predeceased him. He attended St. Brendan's and St. Vincent de Paul Grammar School. He went to St. Ignatius High School and Santa Clara University. He enjoyed vacations with his family in Kenville, in the Bar Ranch in Idaho, summer home park along the Russian River, and he spent his junior year abroad at Gonzaga in Florence, where he found himself in a Dominican parish there abroad for the very first time, and it was through that experience he was attracted to the Dominican tradition of common prayer and communal life. And following his graduation from Santa Clara, he entered the novitiate of the Western Dominican province here, the Most Holy Name of Jesus, and began his studies as we do at St. Albert's in Oakland, he wrote in his application, quote, to model oneself after Christ is a privilege which a priest may use to show his love to God and by example use as a form of preaching, end quote. I guess that made a residence, and so uh, he was accepted. He made profession in 1971, excelled in his studies at the DSPT, and ultimately went to uh, the St. Thomas University, the Angelicum in Rome, where he got a BA in 1973, an MDiv in 77, and was ordained on June 4th, 1976. He taught for uh, two years at our Dominican College in San Rafael, and then began doctoral studies at the Angelicum, which he ultimately got in 1984. After his doctoral work, and something that I didn't know, he uh, ministered at two Newman centers at uh, UC Riverside, where Father Isaiah uh, is from, and at the University of Washington, Seattle. And his lifelong academic interests were certainly ecclesiology, that is the study of the church, but also sacramental theology. And he taught uh, for over 30 years in Rome at the Angelicum. He was also the, the vice dean of the theology faculty. And then he was elected a prior of the Dominican community and became, if you will, the point person for every Western Dominican ever visiting Rome. We would always call, contact Father Robert and he would set us up, get accommodations, and then almost host us. He was just a, an inimitable host. Um, also, he made kind of a worldwide 
difference in connecting uh, with uh, students that he had taught uh, over the years. He certainly had that, that sense of wanting to cultivate the academic life and of bringing out the best in his students. And so he was a beloved teacher and a mentor to many, many priests and religious and lay people from around the world. And after 33 years in Rome, he took uh, just a year for a kind of sabbatical, but was teaching at the regional uh, seminary in Florida, St. Vincent de Paul, and was also connected to the Anglican Roman Catholic International Commission, which is a pontifical council since 2012. So he was very, and he, I really loved that, I know. Um, he also ministered here uh, in the province uh, for two years as the vicar provincial, uh, so the socius, and that's right before I entered, so I, I don't have memories of that, but I do certainly remember fondly uh, his time as student master here in, in the last uh, three years before he was um, uh, ordained a bishop from 2015 to 2018. And uh, when he was ordained on June 5th, 2018 as a bishop, uh, he, he gave a really beautiful talk, but he talked about his gratitude to the Dominican community. He says, with its rhythms of prayer, recreation, shared decision-making, and shared commitment to preaching the truth, he had certainly uh, been uh, elevated as uh, a preacher par excellence. And he added, being a bishop means giving up many dimensions of his community life, but also it makes a deeper engagement to be an agent of, of mercy within the diocese itself. And he says, the last point was made to me by the Dominican master of the order himself. And so very much a deep concern for people. You know, he was, he was someone who always uh, was wanting to minister to people where they were and to bring a rich intellectual academic uh, kind of vision to that uh, area in many ways, but with someone who was also in the community very playful um, in every way. It was certainly shocking uh, to myself and to others uh, as we learned about his 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 death um, and um, some. Uh, he was, um, in terms of his family, uh, to kind of wrap up the obituary. He survived by uh, five brothers and a sister and many, many cousins, uh, certainly mourned by our own Western Dominican province and by the church here in San Francisco. Bishop Robert Francis Christian, born December 2nd, 1948, died July 11th, 2019. Rest in peace. Now we want to uh, connect with Father Isaiah. Welcome, Father Isaiah. Thank you. Thank you, Father Michael. So here we are. Yeah, no, and I wanted to do a kind of republishing of the interview I had with Bishop Robert. What a great idea. And But just to get, uh, first of all, just to, to in a sense, uh, talk and reflect a little bit about it. Whenever mm -hmm. we have a uh, death of, of a um, loved one, of a Dominican in our midst, there is um, a way in which the goodness of the community and that sense of fraternity yeah it just really enriches our life. It's, it's, you know, people come from all around the province, uh -huh. especially for Bishop Robert. He, you know, around touched, the world, around the, literally around the world. Yeah. Exactly. And I know the funeral was live streamed from the cathedral mm -hmm. and uh, certainly was, you can obviously tell by data how many people yeah, exactly. watched, watch that and, and were able to, you know, not able to be locally mm -hmm. there. Um, we're able to be there uh, through um, through the media. So just just the, just kind of a, your reflection on that. Of course, we weren't we weren't together. But who did? Yeah. How did you? How did you find out about his about his passing? Well, I mean, we had a a little surprise barbecue for Sister Anne, um, okay. like a, her own jubilee, um, for six years professed as a Dominican. And I came back to the office, and one of the staff members said, "I'm so sorry about Bishop Robert." 
Oh, what were you thinking about that time? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? I was completely yeah. confused. What do you mean yeah. by that? And um, the look on that person's face, she just blanched. Yeah. And then showed me the email. So, oh, yeah. so that's how I found out. And uh, it was one of those things for me that um, all those words in the sentence, I know all those words in the sentence, sure. but not the actual sentence. I don't understand what the sentence meant, if you yeah. know the meaning. And um, so there was that. For, so it's safe to say that within the, res, within the Priory, um, there was that initial shock for the first couple of days of sure. that doesn't make sense. And, uh, no, I know. I, I, I saw it as kind of like you, not by a person, but through the email, and I, I had to read it you know, uh-huh. <laughs> several different yeah. times just to make sure, okay, first of all, is died the verb you want there? Is that yeah. because he was, he was, there exactly. was no sense of um, mm-hmm. kind of impending illness or anything yeah. per se. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was kind of, it was shocking and, and come to find out that he was actually scheduled exactly. on the, that Wednesday, which was um, the day after he passed away mm-hmm. uh, to give a kind of a walking. He was famous, as you yes. know. <laughs> a walking tour San Francisco, Ex- only as he can do. As, yeah. an, as a native said, he would. He certainly knows the city, but he had a generosity of heart to the novices every year. Exactly. Did you, as a novice, did you take the walking tour with him? No, we, uh, we couldn't line up the schedule. Oh, the so, schedule didn't yeah. work out. Okay, no, yeah, he was, was famous sad, yeah. for give, every mm-hmm. year giving the novices a walking tour. He just he did it just a couple of months ago for, for, the, for, current for class, the current yeah. class. Mm-hmm. Um, but then even for visitors, as St. Dominic's here as... Uh, as you know, is kind of Grand Central Station really for is. Dominicans around the world. Mm-hmm. We've had a, a Polish Dominican here, yeah. a Dominican from the East Coast. Father Basil comes every Spain. year. Father Rodrigo yeah. from mm-hmm. Spain yeah. comes. And so yeah. it's it's usually the, the priest from Kenya last year. Exactly, yeah. So the, basically we become a kind of international yeah. house of... The UN, really. <laughs> exactly. The OPUN. friars yeah. <laughs> during the summer. And when he was around, he yeah. would just delight at meeting uh-huh. people during... Uh, recreation time yeah. and then offering to them, especially if they were, it was their first time or they were relatively new. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, you know, I could take you on a little tour, always making that offer. And so he's probably given that walking tour, which it was not, you know, a little half an hour. He, he would, it he was would a ta- day. It was a day. It was basically a day. Yeah. You know, he'd take you on the five hour walking tour mm-hmm. and show everything from North beach up the, up the steps yeah, and, exactly. and Ghirardelli and, and around through the mission. So it was a prodigious walk. You came back tired. <laughs> you did. You <laughs> came back with a workout. It was certainly a place where, uh, but that to me that kind of encapsulate that sense of how he loved Mm -hmm. people, loved connecting. He had certainly an international view of the church, Uh of the world, of his own relationships, Mm -hmm. and uh, that sense of generosity. When you're traveling in a in a foreign country, it's not necessarily it's not that's not necessarily easy either in terms of the language or Mm -hmm. to feel welcome. And he would always make everyone who was here feel really welcome in that way. Yeah, I mean, for myself, it was one of those things where. Uh, the first word that comes to mind when it comes to Bishop Robert is brother. He was a true brother of yes. not only the province, but truly of the order. Yeah. Um, of like for one thing, locally within the priory, if he was in the house, he's going to office, he's attending everything. Yep. He was present to the community. Yes. He loved yes. like digging into the stories of the brothers. He yes. was a member of the community. And, yeah. uh, and it was a delight just of having him move in and just, interacting with the man i mean i've heard about this man all the time from the angelicum and such and seen him at provincial assembly but to actually experience him and just be one-on-one with him was just a delight and um it's just a tribute to his love of the order of the brothers of um of the people we've had in the house for the past couple days of brothers from you know yes from the province but we have italy we have germany we have spain we have i mean name your country and they were here it was just a real delight to see his love of the brothers and that being returned in this tribute over these past couple of days. 
Yeah, and also in terms of the impact he had to inspire vocations to the order. So he mm. knew folks from all around the world, but not just for our Western Dominican province, but so many people talking about how he, Mr. Robert was the one who either brought them into the church in terms yeah, of becoming Catholic true. or discerning a vocation within a vocation to priesthood right. or to religious life or within their own priesthood or religious life discerning a vocation to academic study yeah, sure. or to be connected in a particular, find mm -hmm. a kind of passion uh, in his teaching uh, prowess. So mm -hmm. um, did you ever take a class with him? No, I wish I had that. No, I don't think because he didn't, because yeah. he didn't, he, I know he there was. He was in the Angelicum by the time I entered. Yeah. Least, and so. it's, and he was, he, when the year that I entered, he had just finished up being socius. Oh, okay. And there was, he was going to do like, I think he's going to do like a little intersessional uh, class, mm -hmm. but then it didn't work out because he was going back and forth. Okay. But so I never got a chance to, to take a class with him, but just his own style of preaching and talking. You could just tell he was, he was, yeah. <laughs> he, was he was a wonderful, wonderful teacher mm -hmm. um, in many ways and yeah. much, much uh, beloved. But also in terms of uh, that sense in which he had, uh, great pride in the Dominican order. He saw right. the Dominican mm -hmm. order as being uh, a powerful contemporary way in which the church could, uh, mm -hmm. could, could, could preach through, through, through the order in many ways. Yeah. Um, I mean, through the very way of life, through the preaching itself, through the teaching. You yeah. know, indeed, we, we did uh, the church. We remember a great teacher that's influenced um, so many uh, priest religious members of the body of Christ through his career at the Angelical Men here. But, you know, but, but he, was a true Dominican. He was a community man. He was yeah. a man who taught. He preached well. Yeah, he was a... I remember the first time I met him, I didn't really know him. And mm -hmm. it's usually in the, the case where as you get, uh, you know, more um, more years in the order, it's easier for you to know the people that are kind of around you. Right. And especially if you don't live in the novitiate like we do here, you don't necessarily know the new guys coming in. So he right. was, he was basically in Rome and he was yeah. part of the province. And when I entered and it was probably, I didn't, I don't think I met him as a novice. I think it was probably a few years later, maybe he's coming home for the summer or something. Uh, I met him because I was actually involved in his 25th anniversary, but oh. <laughs> which was, <laughs> that was your which a story for another right. day. That yeah. wasn't, that was another actually, podcast. That, that yeah. was another podcast. That was, that was, a, that was a, uh, a very interesting summer, but no, that wasn't novice year when I, I met him. <laughs> I had met him before that, but it's the kind of thing where, you know, uh, an older friar won't necessarily know a younger friar, but a younger friar will know an older friar, right? right. That's usually, it's just like, right. like here in parishioners, right? Like everyone knows, or people who are parishioners know me yeah. better than necessarily I know them, right? <laughs> right? right. Or, or the say the same thing there. Yeah. yeah. So when I met him, I expected to say, "Oh, you know, I'm Brother Michael," and he's, he knew all. He knew. He even though he had never met me, really, he's like, "Oh yeah, you're from Pacifica." He knew your guys, story. He, wow. knew, he knew at least the, at least the, the the kind of some of the highlights of who I was, and wow. I was like, "Wow, it's really." In other words, that per, that personal touch, that that sense yeah. of you really kind of knowing a little bit about you and making you feel. Like he was really engaging with you as a person was, mm -hmm. was something that was definitely both both a skill because it takes a certain yeah. uh, you know alacrity of memory uh -huh. <laughs> to, to yeah. know that, but but also a genuineness as, yeah. as well. A genuine say. desire. Yeah. So yeah. He, he's mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, you're a Bay Area. It basically, not a San Francisco, but a Bay Area guy was close yeah, enough. Right? Exactly. So he's like, oh yeah, from yeah. the Bay Area, and he knew I'd gone to Thomas Aquinas College, right. and he you know he had he had basic things that that 
not necessarily every friar who doesn't um, necessarily live in the Bay Area would know mm-hmm. about a particular friar. But he, yeah, he goes, oh, I, I hear this about you. I know this about you. And it just opened up the conversation, you know, meeting him for the first time. So that's that's one memory I have okay. of him, kind of the first meeting. But then, but then kind of the last uh, time uh, that um, we interacted in a significant way was also mm-hmm. memorable for me. And it's actually the last... As I think, as I as I as I as I think about it, the last Sunday mass that he preached publicly. Ah, oh, this was at the installation of a pastor. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So, so there's um, he being of course the auxiliary bishop, lots of different tasks and roles, or wore many hats. Right. But there was unincluded. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. 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 Pun I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I guess fun, fun included. But um, he was part part of his role was for if you're um elevating pastors or naming pastors, he or another bishop would be part of that installation mass. So, um, so there, the, the local parish here, uh, Francis Xavier, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. uh, installing a new pastor and who had been parish administrator for a while. So it was kind of like a really nice uh, way of the community saying, okay, he's been administrator for a while and now, um, now he's going to be pastor here. And so he came and, I was there because of um, my role as the dean of the cathedral yeah. deanery mm-hmm. here. And so it was um, just a wonderful moment where he presided and then I was con celebrating and right. introducing uh, the kind of the, the newly installed pastor for the community. And so it was something that we did together liturgically. Oh, it was right. kind of the last thing we did together. It was the last thing he did. Um, at least publicly that I'm aware of. Liturgically uh, as a bishop. Yeah, I, on a Sunday, on for that oh, Sunday. Oh, on a Sunday, wow. On a Sunday. So, okay. so anyway, he, um, it was just, it was in, and it was further uh, made poignant by his homily that day, which was, which is like teased hmm. him later. I said, I said, oh, you kept it short today. <laughs> and the reason, oh. <laughs> the reason, he's a wonderful wow. preacher at every He is, he is. But he kept it short because it, um, St. Benedict, St. Francis Xavier Church, um, yeah. up the way here on Octavia, is a um, AL, ASL church, yeah. American Sign Language. Yeah. Most people don't realize that uh, sign language is, is actually a recognized language. Right. So it's another tree you can actually use sign mm-hmm. as a liturgical language. Yeah. Yeah. So the mass is so in sign. For the deaf, co- deaf community yeah. mm-hmm. within the city. Yeah. yeah. So it's 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 basically you can sign the whole mass. So, mm-hmm. so it was normally when we think of, at least when I think of uh, sign language, you know, someone's speaking and then someone's off to the side signing. Right. A translator. As a word. translator. Yeah. It was the other way around in this case. Oh. The readings were done in sign. Everything was done in sign. Okay. And then there was someone off to the side who was speaking what they were signing. Oh. So it was almost like a game of charades. It felt like charades oh, okay. a little bit. That's interesting. Okay. <laughs> so they were doing the, the reading I remember very distinctly was from Isaiah where where um, Elisha uh, slaughters the oxen and there's a oh, team of oxen. Yeah. And so the reader was, was like mimicking oxen, like, you know, yeah. with, with horns and kind of snorting and kind of like pretending he kind of like putting on a, an imagined yoke and kind of straining at the yoke. So it was a very interesting. It was like, it was, it was kind of like a, it was kind of like trades if you will, but that's its its own language. So not everything. So anyway, he, he was, his preaching was concise because, um, and he wasn't saying didn't know sign language, but because someone else was signing. And so he was wanting to make a very simple message so that the signing 
could be communicated well. Okay, sure. <laughs> so that, that so makes anyway, sense. so the, the construction. Yeah. But his, his preaching, his homily, was was on being a pastor. You know, being appropriate to the moment, mm-hmm. installing him a new pastor. Right. But he talked about how Saint Thomas Aquinas talks about holy orders uh-huh. and that sense of and the, the virtues of of prudence. Mm. And, and wisdom that a pastor needs in order to minister to people and to help to put, in a sense, um, Christ at the heart of your ministry so that Christ can continue to minister to his people through you. It was just so succinct and so wow. beautiful. That's and looking beautiful. back on it, it, to me, it was almost a kind of summation of his own life. I mean, he didn't yeah. know it at the time, of obviously, course, and right. then none of, of us knew it. But hearing that, I thought, wow, that was just a beautiful articulation of it at the end of the day. Our ministry, certainly as preachers, but as mm-hmm. priests, myself as a pastor, right. is to bring Christ alive to people in a way, in a wise and prudent way, in order that He might be experienced wow. by them. Wow. And it was just very good. There, yeah. <laughs> so it was really it was powerful. It was also yeah. it was also uh, there's certainly that that depth and profundity of of of, of, of um, wisdom and insight. But there was also a few funny moments. He when he uh-huh. referenced Thomas Aquinas, he paused. He looked up at the <laughs> at the translator and said, "I want to see how this is signed. I want to see how Thomas Aquinas yeah. is signed." I, I don't know if he he thought you know the person was going to you know put on a put on some kind of hat or you know, just yeah. Thomas some sometimes is 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 seen holding like you know a like sunburst a or, or a book. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. But they they just spelled out the name. So, Aqis exactly exactly. Yeah. So they they just N-A-S, used it because yeah. because <laughs> so but but, okay. but the funny thing was is as he began to say when he turned and said I want to see how they spell this out, they also signed what he said, said. that parenthetical. <laughs> I want to see how they spell this out, and everyone laughed. And, <laughs> and then he referenced the the movie Anti Mame where oh dear Anti Mame is is uh, I guess she's it's a scene in the in the movie where she's talking and someone's taking dictation. And it's like oh, a right. court stenographer. And one of the yeah. jokes is that when she turns and says, oh, what have I written? What was the last thing I said? Yeah. And the person responds, what was the last thing I said? Because that was yeah. the last, literally there, the last thing she said. said yeah. <laughs> what was the last thing he said? And so he had a little moment. So a little, a little, a little humor there. <laughs> that is hilarious. Wow. <laughs> and then at the very end of mass, they, they wanted to take um, the pastor said, oh, let's take a picture. You know, this is during kind of the announcement time. And Fine. so there was like, there was all this kind of like, how do we take a picture? What, commotion, how do we, yeah. Yeah, there was a little bit of commotion on the practicality of it. Right, right, it's right. It's right. Bishop Robert, wonderful to be, once again, how he was able to kind of like cut down on the chaos. Okay, okay, we'll gather everyone together. We'll do it on the front steps. So everyone else, I want everyone, we'll, we'll do the, the kind of the closing, you know, blessing in him. And then I want everyone else to process out all the, you know, like, yeah, exactly. everyone you go first and yeah. uh, myself and the servers, there's some Dominican servers there and myself yeah. and there's a couple other priests there, we'll follow you. And then he, and, and, and he said, and he paused and he says, this will be in his inimitable wit. He said, <laughs> this will be the, um, the, the, uh, a time where as clergy, <laughs> we are not accustomed to following the lady <laughs> that we'll, we'll have to follow you. Okay. <laughs> so he so goes, he goes, he goes, he goes, he goes, you guys lead. Don't worry. The clergy will have a difficult time since we are so unaccustomed to following the laity. That so, is pretty. So good. it was a really, it was a nice little, little, little witty moment. So, so yeah. So I, I think I kind of reflect back on that. The first time I met Bishop Robert and how warm, genuine, and knowledgeable he was of me. We never met him. Yeah. And, and the final time we we interacted together and the kind of a beautiful summation of um, 
what priesthood is about, his yeah. own vocation in some ways, that sense of giving himself uh, completely in a way of wisdom and prudence for others uh, and the, but doing it all with a sense of both um, insight and yet uh, wit and, and humor yeah. and a little bit of levity as well. Yeah, he truly is a man that... Uh, as we say every single time we record, he truly yeah. is a man that really radiated the joy yeah, of the gospel. Exactly, you know? no. Um, from the heart of Rome as well as San Francisco, <laughs> right? It's so. true, it's true. And that yeah. certainly came through the The church was full at the vigil. Oh my gosh, it was Father so Donald wonderful. preached beautifully about, uh-huh. about fraternity. The guys, yeah. It was almost like, a, what did you say? It was like a Herb Cain column. <laughs> yes. The old, the old San Francisco yeah. uh, 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 n- newspaper man. Um, and so he kind of collected stories of that mm-hmm. people had shared with him about Bishop Robert, and then uh, the funeral uh, presided by the Archbishop Corleone and mm-hmm. preached by Father Alejandro, mm-hmm. uh, who is a Dominican who um, is now a professor in Rome himself, right. but who was kind of a traveling companion. Yeah. So he was a summer traveling. Bishop Robert loved to, you know, he would travel during the summers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would actually he would come here to St. Dominic's uh, to do pastoral ministry for part of the summer where, you know, when his, his usual, oh, as, as, a, profe- was, yeah. Yeah, as, yeah. as mm-hmm. a professor, when he was in yeah. Rome for those 33 years, his usual schedule was teach in Rome for mm-hmm. basically the academic yeah. year and then come to St. Dominic's uh, for a month of pastoral ministry yeah. and then take uh, some weeks to do uh, some yeah. traveling That's right. internationally yeah. with friends and, and, and so forth. And so Father Andrew was a, a reliable and usual uh, traveling companion. So yeah. he talked about that sense of, of travel and, and used it as a kind of metaphor or image for uh, Bishop Robert and his, mm-hmm. his sense of both the church and his, his love for God and, and his, his, his own vocation. It's so a yeah. beautiful, beautiful and, homily. And I had many a conversation with parishioners that during that summer month when he would be here of yeah. many uh, beautiful memories of that they have, they, of their personal interactions with, uh, uh, with Bishop Robert. And um, he was well-loved. Yeah, no, in fact, he uh, this, this weekend we just celebrated the Feast of the Dedication of the Church. Right. And he actually... Um, I think maybe four or five years ago, preached on the dedication of the church for the weekend. And I remember he began the image with the candles because the dedication candles are lit. It's the only one all the day. And he talked about, I had never really thought of it this way. He talked about the, how many of the thousands of candles that were ordered uh, by the church every yeah. week. And he kind of, he kind of took a little time to break it all down. All the stats of, of candles and how long it took them to burn and how much it cost and how much mm-hmm. they donate, you know, you kind of just, just to make the point uh, that uh, candles are certainly, you know, a part of the devotional life of mm-hmm. the church, but in representing Christ, there's that sense in which they um, illumine us. And so you mentioned yeah. radiating the joy of the gospel. Yeah. That was a, that was a, his, the light of Christ was a theme yeah. that, that I really remember from some wow. of his preaching uh, as well. So, yeah. So, yeah, no. And so I, I, I guess um, my thought then was for this podcast to kind of wrap up here a little bit of an, give a little introduction, our own reflections and introduction to, uh, an interview that I had uh, with Bishop Robert mm-hmm. right as uh, he was going exactly. to be installed. In fact, even asking him, what, what do we call you at this point? Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. said, he said no to Bishop Bob. <laughs> right. I remember that. I was <laughs> listening to this last night. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't, he, he didn't want to be Bishop yeah. Bob, but, and just his own kind of thoughts. I, a couple things stuck out to me. Uh, first mm-hmm. of all, uh, that sense in which he was surprised Yes, he thought but, he was too old. Yeah, exactly. He thought he, he yeah. thought he was too old, and, and he consulted with another local bishop, I think Bishop Barber, mm-hmm. and who told him, or at least made him think, you know, you've given your life to the Dominican order, yeah, and now it's time to give yourself uh, to the wider church. Yeah, incredible. And he just even when he, you know, hearing that now, you know, that sense of giving your life for the church. Yeah. 
it's kind of what he did. Yeah, he I did. mean, he was he you know died pe- died in his sleep peacefully, but but you know he had just you know he was he, there wasn't a long in, infirmity or anything. He just literally, you know, <laughs> died uh, yeah. <laughs> died with his boots on, as they say. Yeah, you know, exactly. being a, being a bishop in in every way. It, it was a little uh, eerie when I asked and uh, about, and you'll hear in a few moments. Asked right. about how his relationship to the order will change, and he talked mm-hmm. about. Um, how he was certainly at, at heart always had been Dominican, but you know, in terms of being obedient to the master, the mm-hmm. or superior local superior yeah. versus the bishop, that would change. But then he talked about he said he talked about retirement briefly. I know, and then added said if, if he I, lasts that long. As he said, if I live that long, yeah. And I was just like, oh, hearing that, I'm like. Oh wow! <laughs> okay. Maybe 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 he knew he wasn't meant for retirement. <laughs> yeah. At first, when I first heard that, yeah. I mean, when this was first released, I thought yeah. he was just being flippant and funny. But yeah, yeah. On the second hearing or so, I'm like, um, <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's a parenthetical. It certainly, yeah. it's kind of like you know, as you say, kind of like God willing kind of thing. He says, right, "If I live that course. long," but but yeah. uh, but uh, part of that listening back, I thought, you know what. He wasn't really, he wasn't made, not that anyone, but he wasn't, retirement would have not suited him well from the no, sense not of not anyway. being active, right? So anyway, he was, yeah. was going to be active so, in, right. in everything he did. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, then, and then that sense in which, um, here what stuck out to me, uh, listening to that, uh, that podcast again, was that insight he had as Studmaster about uh, the quality of our relationship with God and, and with our own vocation, not simply as um, one in which we loved others, but our vulnerability in allowing ourselves to be loved by God. To receive the love. Yeah, yeah. I remember that distinctly. Yeah. yeah, and I really I really thought that was a really um, powerful insight to be able to talk about if we are going to be preachers of God's word, if we're called to be the presence of Christ, we both have to love with Christ's love. Mm-hmm. We have to open our hearts not to be kind of love the way we want to be loved, but to allow others to love us the way in their way that yeah. they, mm-hmm. you know, need to love us, but to yeah. let God love us yeah. in the way that God wants to love yeah. us and not to, in a sense, put limitations or particular ways in which, you know, kind of cramp or limit the ways mm-hmm. in which we can be loved. And so yeah. I thought it was a really um, interesting insight uh, and something I certainly appreciate about uh, Bishop Robert. He both loved and allowed himself to be loved yeah. in that way. And one of uh, the main insights, one of the biggest insights that's related to this that yeah. I covered from the interview was yeah. uh, that he thinks that one of the crises of the church is, you know, the, that, the, that we're uh, the society speaking, we're lonely people and that we need yeah. each other. This, yeah. uh, this need for community and yeah. to receive love and yeah. such. And uh, that was, um, that really struck home for me of, of that, whether it be social media, technology, whatever, we need to be loving towards each other and how to be connected towards each other put the phones away yep and truly be with it, each other was very striking yeah it's it kind of comes full circle you talked about you know fraternity or brotherhood comes to mind when you when you think of him in the sense mm-hmm. of community um yeah. and so he passed away in the midst of his uh, his, his community right yeah. and mm-hmm. and uh, certainly um we uh, pray for him and right. i encourage all of us to continue to pray that he comes to his eternal reward and and may he rest in peace in every way. Amen. 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 And so uh, the following then uh, is going to be a uh, an interview, certainly contextualized around his own um, appointment as bishop. And so I certainly hope uh, you listen to this with a sense of uh, his own sense of ministry, and I hope it's as uh, edifying as it was uh, for myself and Father Isaiah, and that mm-hmm. we, like Bishop Robert, might radiate the joy of the gospel here in the heart of the city. Amen. Amen. 
Welcome back to St. Dominic's Weekly. This is Father Michael, and I have a very special guest. I'm excited to have uh, Father Robert Christian, Bishop-elect, Auxiliary of San Francisco. Welcome, Father Robert. Thank you very much, Father Michael. It's good to be here. It must have been a whirlwind for you, huh? It is still a whirlwind You're still in the midst of the whirlwind. Right, right, yeah. (laughs) It began just before Palm Sunday when uh, the nuncio telephoned me, and so the Holy Father was appointing me Auxiliary Bishop of San Francisco. And uh, before that, he said, are you alone? And are you sitting down? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I was alone, and I was standing up, so okay. I had to sit down. Okay. I thought that I was too old to become a bishop, and I um, was asking if, uh, in fact, the Pope had a, another Robert Christian in oh. mind or something like that, <laughs> but no, it, it was, it was happening. And so I begged for some time to think about it, and he said, why? The Holy Father is asking you. You have to obey him. Oh, my goodness. And so uh, I said, well, I, I thought before I was ordained a priest, and I thought before I was, uh, well, even earlier, before I was ordained a deacon, sure. and to be ordained a bishop, I don't think I can just give a snap answer on the telephone. Yeah. So he gave me a couple of days, but in fact, it only took me about four hours. I talked to our provincial, uh-huh. and I talked to Bishop Michael Barber okay. of Oakland, who is a Jesuit, and who knows what it's like to... To leave religious life to go into the episcopacy, and the arguments of Bishop Barber were very, very persuasive. Mm, is, there, is there anything you could share with us? Sure. He he said, "You've given your life to the order, and uh, you've honed yourself to be able to give your life now to the larger church. Mm. And uh, the conference of bishops needs the kind of thing that you can give." Um, the Archbishop of San Francisco needs the kind of help and uh, public persona that you can provide, and so uh, it would be very, very good if you could do this. In addition to Bishop Barber, the readings in Holy Week are all not my will, but thy will be oh. done, and that kind of thing. <laughs> so it seemed like I was gang- being ganged up on, and so I called the nuncio back about four hours after he had called me and accepted. Oh, fantastic. And ever <laughs> since, it's just been a complete whirlwind because... I have a job, student master. Exactly. I had to visit our students in different places, uh, actually in the world. And so since Palm Sunday, I've been traveling, meeting students here, trying to effect a transition out of this job and going into a new job, which requires a knowledge of canon law. And I'm a tabula rasa when it comes to canon law. So it's, yeah, it's a real world. (laughs) (laughs) And and there was no... um, sense or indicator that this was on the horizon. I, horizon. I, just, I, so when, I was preparing my homily for the next day. Okay, okay. And uh, the phone call came, and I had absolutely no forewarning. Wow, so it's not like if they're considering you to be bishop, they kind of say, oh, well, maybe... When there is a consideration is. of someone for a bishop, yeah. the uh, nuncio sends out a long questionnaire to people who know the person, mm-hmm. and they ask various questions, and they have to be answered in essay form. So it's a real uh, engagement to... You know, take on this uh, process of evaluation, but you're under pontifical secrecy. And although oh. the joke is yeah. that pontifical secret means you tell just one person at a time. <laughs> in, in turn. In, <laughs> yes. In fact, uh, it was kept very well until one person said to me uh, in conversation, I've been waiting to call you bishop for a long time, ever since I got the first questionnaire. Oh, so that well, indicated okay. something, but something previous. But okay. I, I was not privy to any of that. Oh my goodness! And it was interesting. I, I actually asked the archbishop when he came on visitation just how that works in terms of does he 
uh, put forward names or, or names suggested to him. And one thing that was illuminative for me was he said there's a vetting process that goes on that's quite, and I think this is what you're talking about, mm-hmm. that's quite extensive. In fact, I, I joked, I said something like, oh, it's kind of like the FBI. And he, and he paused and I think he was serious. He says, no, much more in depth than that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're really a, a yeah. sense of the Vatican using intelligence services. Well, to, I, I've, I myself have people. received those questionnaires oh, for, for a couple of people. So oh, I know. Okay. I know the kinds of questions that are on them. I've seen one for Ireland and one for the United States. And okay. They're pretty much the same. Uh, yeah, so it's, there's a lot of A lot stuff. of it goes back and goes mm-hmm. back. So just, mm-hmm. and, and for myself, now that I'm thinking about it, when the, the archbishop came, someone, uh, one of the parishioners uh, who wanted to greet him said, Father Michael, what do we call him? And as as now you're you're entering your nation, what what do we what do we call you? <laughs> the easiest thing to say is yeah. bishop. Okay, okay. Because <laughs> I had a bishop one time who said he didn't like he didn't like to be called just bishop, and he just wanted to be. But I don't know. I what... prefer bishop to excellency because okay. I think that's a little bit presumptive. Gotcha. Okay, <laughs> very good. But but uh, Bishop Robert, Bishop. I prefer Christian? Robert because, as you know, yeah. Dominicans uh, religious in general are known by their first name, yeah. and in the Eucharist prayer, we always pray for our Bishop Salvatore. We don't pray for our Bishop Cordelione. And so we're not going to pray for our Bishop Christian, which also sounds like a first name, our Bishop Robert. So I think Bishop Robert, not Bishop Bob. Okay. (laughs) Bishop Robert would be fine. There's a certain ring to that. It does. does, Do family members call you Bob still? Because I I, I get the mic sometimes, too, from time to time. All the time. Really? When I came into the order, we had to give a saint's name for our feast, even if we weren't changing our names. Sure. So I chose Robert Bellerman. And thereafter, the order began calling me Robert. But okay. my whole family, all my friends always called me and still do call oh. me Bob. Okay, so they might have a little bit of a But I wouldn't want curve. Bishop Bob. <laughs> you want Bishop Bob, no. <laughs> Bishop Robert. And then mentioning uh, Robert Bellerman, who of course was a Jesuit, your own background, very much steeped here in San Francisco, but also with, with the Jesuits. Is there a reason why you're a Dominican? I'm, I'm glad you are, but, but, but rather than in terms of where your education was kind of uh, formed. You? Well, yeah, I had eight years with the Jesuits. Yeah. Uh, uh, St. Ignatius High School and uh, then Santa Clara University. And um, I admired the Jesuits very much, but I could not be a, a good Jesuit. If mm. I were a Jesuit, I'd probably not be a good priest. Hmm. Um, and that's because the Jesuits, uh, in their renewal after the Second Vatican Council, rediscovering the vision of St. Ignatius of Loyola, um, were, were stressing you know, sort of the idea of being soldiers, but individual soldiers. And mm. they were lessening their... The de facto living in communities and everything. And so uh, while I wanted to be a priest, I didn't want to be um, alone like a diocesan priest. I certainly uh, thought that uh, the way the Jesuits were going was maybe good for their renewal, but not good for me. And the Dominicans, among other orders that I looked into, uh, with their stress on common prayer, um, common study, and even common feeding into the preaching mission of the order was much more amenable to me. And I've Never nice. regretted the decision at all. And I think the Jesuits' emphasis on um, discernment and everything else helped me discern not to be a Jesuit. Okay. <laughs> Which means it worked. <laughs> the discernment yeah. worked. Do, do you think part of that community emphasis or gravity for you comes from your family? And, and you, quite, you come from a, quite a large family by today's standards anyway. I do. I have uh, five brothers and a sister. But I think that religious life is not easily comparable to a family. Mm. Um, in fact, I think it's kind of a mistake to think that people who come from large families are going to do well in community or something like that. Because uh, in, a communi- in, a, in a community, you come together from a variety of backgrounds, and you have to learn the skills of, of trying to start to love 
people in a community mm. and to get to know people with very different formations hmm. previous to entering religious life. In the family, you're all formed together and you're forming one another. So while it certainly is helpful, I suppose, sure. to come from a big family, yeah. it's not an exactly comparable thing. And so I think that... Um, you know, somebody coming from a single child yeah. a family yeah. has just as much chance of being a community person as someone who comes from a large one. So I, I think that Interesting. Uh, I'm grateful for my family, sure, of course. Sure. <laughs> but I, I, I wouldn't say that it pre- uh, prepared me much for uh, community life, except in the things that, you know, most of my siblings are brothers. Okay. And so the sloppiness of men, <laughs> which I see in Dominican communities sure. and so on, yeah, I'm prepared for that. Okay. <laughs> I remember one visitation when the provincial said, doesn't it bother you to see all the dirt around here? Yeah. I said, no. <laughs> this is what I grew up with. <laughs> uh, no, that's great. Is, do you think there, um, if it's not kind of family, what do you think does uh, provide for you and maybe even in general uh, a strong community um, connection and, and virtue in, in, a, in a person, in a man? I, I think that uh, the, the key is sort of knowing how well you can give love and how well you can receive love. Mm. I think that we have a bit of a crisis now in, in terms of receiving love. We talk a lot about how to give it, how to show it, how to mm. give of ourselves, how to be self-sacrificing. Mm-hmm. We talk a little too little, in my opinion, mm. about how to receive love. And if we say that our love is supposed to perfect someone else, that means someone else's love is meant to perfect us. So um, in any kind of relationship, when you're considering marriage or something like that, you have to talk about what you can give, but also about what you will receive, and not just what you want to receive, but mm. what you're going to receive. There's mm. a vulnerability and an openness that is that is there. And um, people in, in, in uh, certain situations, even in um, uh, college dorm situations sure. or in business situations or whatever, to a lesser extent than a committed relationship, still have to struggle with how they show their respect or in the Christian sense of the term, their charity towards others and how they're going to receive it. So I think is when one thinks about how one is going to get along with people, whether it be one person or many people, that you begin to think about what's the best situation for me to be developing myself as a lover and to be developing myself as someone capable of receiving love. So I think it's possible to come into a community um, context, as I said, from a a small background or from a large background. And it has to do with love. And then, of course, has to do with um, shared values and mission and things like that. Again, with a marriage, you know, you want people to communicate about what they hold in common, what values they have, what projects, what hopes, you know, how they'll deal with adversity. And that comes uh, into consideration also in common life. Sure, and it it, um, sparks in my mind that idea of one of the vows, obedience, connected to, as you're talking about, not just giving yourself sometimes you know what you won't do for yourself you do for others so even though it's not easy it's at least especially i define it myself where it's like okay if someone needs something i'm 100 percent all in on that but when it comes to how i need to receive love and how i need to be op- in a sense open to that and, and mm-hmm. humble towards not saying it has to be well, my sure. way because when it's self-giving it can easily turn into manipulation Mm. you're controlling somebody else yeah that's a fundamental mistake when you have to be open and receptive 
then um, you're, you're admitting you're not in charge. Now, we say that we want that to happen in our relationship with God, that we're going to be open to God and open to the surprises God might have for us. We preach this way mm. about God, because that seems less threatening, and yeah. in fact, we can close ourselves <laughs> off to God. Yeah. Um, but I think we need to learn the skill of being open to even God's love by uh, being open to the love of one another. Of others. Now, that's interesting. And in uh, my job as student master, one of the yeah. things that I have tried to share with the students is that um, we are very clumsy in the way we show love, but yeah. it's there, and we have to be open to the clumsily proffered love <laughs> of the brethren. <laughs> no, that's really good. I, living here at St. Dominic's and being connected to the novitiate that's here, I know my own priesthood is enriched by the fact that every year we get guys who are, you know, obviously as novices tend to be very enthusiastic and passionate and know that there's some obviously growing they have to do. But for myself, I'm always open to being reminded and inspired on the reasons why I first entered. I know my own priesthood is definitely enriched by having that passion and zeal all around me. In your capacity as student master, are there ways in which, even though certainly you've been ordained for how many? It's been 42, 42 years. Are there ways in which this, uh, this time as student master has given you insight into your own priesthood and maybe prepared you perhaps for taking on this larger role of the church, as you've, as you've mentioned? No. Okay. I have to, I, I have to answer honestly. No, I, yeah, that's what I, I thought, think, yeah. I think no. no um, okay. One, one of the good things about being student master at, at my age um, is that I, um, I realize that I don't need the affirmation mm. of the students mm. for my own self-esteem or anything sure. like that. Sure. I, I'm quite independent and I'm comfortable in my own skin. Sure. Um, I would say that I've learned um, a lot about my Dominican life, my religious life, but mm. not so much about my priestly life okay. from the, the students. Nice. And going forward, because I've had people ask me, what will your kind of be, be official and maybe unofficial relationship to be to the order as, as you're ordained a bishop? Are you, you, would you still wear the white habit you have on now? Or, you know, do you put OP after your name and, and things well, like that? I can wear the white habit and I okay. can put OP after my name. Okay. There are some changes, some pretty fundamental changes okay. that happen. One concerns the vow of poverty. Mm. Um, I no longer will observe mm. the vow of poverty. Mm. Um, Although the pay scale of the archdiocese is such that uh, I <laughs> You'll will live it anyway, <laughs> live the spirit without too much problem. But um, but I, I will be independent of that, and I suppose that's to ensure kind of an independence in my ministry and and all of that. Um, likewise, obedience. Mm. Um, I'm no longer. Um, bound to obey the provincial and the other authorities in the houses and priories of the order. Um, and and that both of those situations pertain from this point on until death. Okay. So when I retire, if I live that long, um, <laughs> I will not be um, going back into community life, taking part in community chapters, decisions, okay. and all of that sort of thing, nor will I be economically dependent on the order. Although... Um, I've worked out a memorandum with the provincial about retirement, and I'll be uh, in some way related to the Dominican retirement program. So chastity remains, sure, um, sort of like charity. Yeah. But poverty and obedience, like faith and hope, they seem to go by the board a little bit. Um, so so that's, it's a juridical difference. No, it, it makes a sense. But in terms of, I know here there's um, 
other auxiliary bishops, which you'll be, uh, where is there a place where they all live together? Or do you live at the tribunal, or how, how does that work out? There's no other um, active auxiliary bishop in San Francisco. Okay. I'll be the only one. Oh, wow, okay. And I'm living at St. Dominic's. Oh, okay. I'll be moving okay. into St. Dominic's uh, probably after, the well, at, at, towards the end of June at some point. Um, but that's a concession of the archbishop for which I'm extremely grateful because uh, when I was first named bishop, the hardest thing was to wrestle with the sense of feeling kidnapped from the order. You know, somebody said, yeah. it's like a divorce. I said, no, it's not like a divorce because it's not necessarily the case that you love the other partner in a, a divorce yeah. situation, but I love the order and the yeah. order has loved me. So yeah. I didn't, um, didn't countenance the idea of leaving the sort of day-to-day rhythm. So to be able to at least start the day with common prayer, with the community, to be able to interact in a fairly large community like St. Dominic's, that's extremely helpful. So nice. uh, and I'm we're, delighted. We're, su- we're super, and we're, we're just as delighted to have, to have you there, although I'm sure just being visible there, <laughs> we're going to get calls at the front office here. <laughs> Me with Bishop, Bishop Robert, and I'm like, no, no, he lives here, but he's not, not necessarily mm-hmm. ministering here in, in every way. Um, since... Uh, certainly, I know you in, in the, this whole process of what kinds of things that people might not know about just even the process of being bishop in terms of some of the regalia and things like that. Do you, do you, is there a store that you get miters and croziers and pectoral crosses from, or how does that all work, and your motto and things like that? All you need yeah. is to be named a bishop, yeah. and the internet suddenly springs to life. Oh, really? <laughs> people who are experts in heraldry and coats of arms. Oh, really? Okay. People who are willing to sell you miters and um, <laughs> buckled shoes, and you name I now have seven pairs of purple socks. Are you kidding me? <laughs> all of them gifts. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. Seven pairs. Two different shades. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, Is there a preferred shade? I don't I, know. I was matching them with the purple cassock that I okay. had to buy to <laughs> oh see, you know, which one worked better and all that kind of thing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, uh, yeah, it's a whole new world. It's yeah. a whole new world. When you put on a miter in a store yeah. for the first time oh and goodness. you see yourself, I was just wearing my habit in the store, yeah. not a chasuble and all the bass regalia. Sure. So to see this superstructure come yeah. out of your head, <laughs> and then they tell you, oh, no, you don't wear it that way because it's got to go straight up and down, not backwards and all these things. So it'll take a while. It'll take to a while to get used figure to figure out. But there are stores in Rome oh, okay. and other, other places. And uh, so, you yeah. go internet. You just go internet. There's an Amazon for, for Episcopal kind of regalia. Uh, well, so no, but there's a big, there's a very famous tailor, ecclesiastical tailor mm-hmm. in Rome called Gamarelli. Okay. And they have an American agent. And the okay. agent sent me a list of all things oh, I really? needed. Oh, my know, goodness. And could maybe even want and everything. <laughs> but I went to Rome. Oh, did, and okay, yeah. I, I bought stuff uh, there. Okay. And uh, so, so <laughs> yeah, cheaper you, than with the agent. Oh, very good. So you're, you're, well, you're well outfitted. Well, I'm so still far. waiting for stuff to arrive. But oh, okay. uh, all the essential things for getting started have arrived. So. <laughs> okay, very good. And then as you approach uh, your ministry, obviously, you don't know ex- perhaps exactly what you're going to be doing. But, but are there aspects which you're which you can foresee yourself uh being involved in here in san francisco that are that are exciting for you well the church in san francisco you know it faces many many challenges sure. from the society that it is the society at large um and its own history so i do think there are challenges in terms of doctrine okay um how to how to to try and make um 
the, the doctrine of the church well understood. Because I think that, you know, whether or not it's palatable, you know, it's a real challenge to make sure that people know what they are asked to agree to, or if they disagree, you know, what it is exactly that they're disagreeing with, not some figment of their imagination or something like that. So since I've been a teacher pretty much all my ministerial life, I don't foresee my being able to sort of turn away from the teaching sure. dynamic that has been mine. The archbishop is giving me some jobs that require a knowledge of canon law. Oh, really? Okay. And I don't have that. Oh, okay. There's a baby bishop's school oh, in Rome for all newly named bishops, people named in the previous 12 months. Okay. So it's starting in September. So I will be going to baby bishop's school. A lot of people call it bishop's boot camp. I don't oh. know what the real name of it is, <laughs> but um, but you get the idea. Yeah, so sure, it's some kind of we'll, formation. We'll learn a few things. So I'm going to be what they call moderator of the curia, which seems to be like the coordinator of the various activities of the archdiocese. And I'll oh, be the wow. vicar general, which means representing the archbishop and with his authority. Sure. But um, what that really translates into day after day is something I have to learn. Okay. Luckily, there's a very good chancellor in the archdiocese, Father Padazinski, mm-hmm. Michael Padazinski. And I've known him for many years. And there are other people who are very reliable and dependable. And everybody at the chancery office has been extremely helpful. And because we all want this to succeed. Sure. So there's no no vested interest in having a failure. We sure. all want this to succeed. And so, you know, I'm giving it my best and I think they're giving it their best for me and for the archdiocese, the community of the church in San Francisco. Are, are there ways in which being a native from San Francisco yourself, you've seen the city change in terms of culture and outlook that you think, in a sense, as Catholics, we have a treasure or a tradition that can address uh, these the challenges that you've seen? I don't know that we have a special tradition that can address the challenges, mm. but uh, I think that there there are still remnants of a Catholic culture mm. that have human overtones, which, if developed, can increase, actually, people's sensitivity to the Catholic uh, faith and message. I say this because since my nomination, I have received countless testimonials of support from people that I know are not coming to Mass every Sunday. Mm. Um, people of all, all different walks and everything, and they're absolutely ecstatic. One Dominican student here um, wrote me that, uh, well, as St. Paul says, when one member of the body rejoices, the whole yeah. body rejoices. Sure. I was wondering why everybody else was so excited, and I was not all that excited. <laughs> But it's um, it's it's that so that finally, or after a long time anyway, a native son yeah. has been chosen, and somebody went through the Catholic school system, uh, elementary schools, Saint Brendan, Saint Vincent de Paul, and yeah. Saint Ignatius, and Santa Clara, and uh, for a little time Gonzaga, um, you know, knows uh, many many things. I taught at Dominican now University in San Rafael for a couple of years, so I know the San Rafael Dominican sisters pretty well. Um, you know, I have a lot of, of connections, okay, yeah. um, and uh, these people, I think, really want the, the church to succeed, and everybody has issues, sure. but they want the, they want the enterprise to succeed, and they, they don't want scandals to bring the church down. They, they sure. don't want inconsistencies to, to wreck it. They want a life of faith, I mm. think. So, um, you know, as long as that desire is there, I know people who 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 d- disagree about many things, but who pray the rosary every day. Okay, is, <laughs> okay, yeah. So there's a you know um, real, I, I think, uh, desire people have. Uh, again, they would even like to be better Catholics. Sure, sure. So if I can in any way 
nudge them a little bit, yeah. you know, and not get too taken up by the bureaucracy and things like that. There's also a question of the morale of priests, mm. and uh, I, I've heard com- people give opinions about what the morale is like in mm-hmm. San Francisco. Yeah, um, I don't know that it's low or, or high. But I think it always needs to be encouraged. Mm-hmm. People need to hear that their their job is worthwhile, um, especially if the secular world is always saying that you know your job is completely out of date, out of touch, you know, yeah. and um, and probably incredible. I think uh, we need to um, bind ourselves together and uh, become more of a, a cohesive presbyterate. There's a a lot of theology in the Second Vatican Council about collegiality among bishops. Mm. There's only hints that a comparison can be made with collegiality among priests. Mm. I think that needs to be developed. And I think it, if, if it is developed, we have some way of combating the burnout that can happen with dec- decreasing numbers and things like that. So I'd like to you know, share some of those ideas and everything yeah. and do so in a very supportive way. Yeah, and it, it, what you mentioned, kind of coming back to that I, idea of community, is that sense of fraternity to mm-hmm. us both, both perhaps as you mentioned amongst right. the clergy. I, I know that I'm certainly uh, connected with Dominicans here on our um, governing provincial council, and so I every every time we get together there, even if we you know agree, disagree, there's different ideas. At the end of the day, we're all brothers, and so that 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 kind of wins the day, even if even if there's a disagreement. Um, Perhaps there's not that same sense among the diocesan clergy that have that. Well, I'm sure they, they do. Not being a, a diocesan priest, it would be hard for me to judge that. But but to bring that sense of fraternity both to the clergy, what you, what you said, too, about folks that might not agree with every church teaching but still pray the rosary or still feel like they have a connection to some of the devotional life or maybe to social services and the way the church reaches mm-hmm. out to those who, who are in need, to look for any kind of... Um, commonality in terms of the communal dimension of the church as the body of Christ to make people aware or maybe give them a different um, aspect or, or lens into which to fully appreciate the, the teachings. And if we could just show that we appreciate people, yeah. even if we don't agree 100% with them, but, but they are appreciated and um, that our appreciation is some sort of little sign of God's love and appreciation for them, then you know, we've we've prepared the terrain for a deeper and deeper involvement. Yeah, no, and that's I always take great solace uh, when Thomas Aquinas talks about the idea of the preacher simply sharing or communicating truth or to giving those fruits of contemplation, but without any necessary um, remark to how that bears fruit once we preach. It's not up to us necessarily, or we don't have to take so personally. How God will use it. We just mm-hmm. we're in, we're in charge of sharing it, and we let the spirit sure, go. Sure, but we yeah. but we have to share it gracefully. Yes, we have to share it uh, attractively, yes. and our own lives have to resonate with the message that we're preaching. Otherwise, it completely contradicts the message and uh, empties it of its uh, of its content. As far as the hearers are concerned, it just officiates it. For sure. So yeah. uh, I think that yeah, the truth is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and it will set us free. But yeah. no one's going to know that there's truth in setting <laughs> us free if we come across as a as rather boorish or as uh, incredible people. Yeah. No. I, in fact, I was just reading. Um, the, uh, this is, it goes by year, but Pew surveys it's uh, on Corpus Christi, which is the Sunday uh, we've just celebrated. But w- they were they, it, over different. I think there was one in like 2008 and then one in 2010. But one question was, uh, do you know what the church teaches about the the body of Christ, that it truly is? And it was just a little more than half said they were confident they knew the teaching, 
But then when, when asked, and this was a couple of years earlier, whether they believe that it is truly the body and blood of Christ, there was like 73 or 75%, which means to me that there's a 25% group that don't really know what the church teaches, but they believe the actual <laughs> content of it. And when that was first reported, it was, oh, 25% of Catholics don't believe in the real body and blood. And when I actually looked at the data, I said, no, it means that we haven't done a great job of at least communicating what it is. There's actually a greater belief or want to believe than there is actual knowledge of the content of They ought to ask the same question yeah. about the Trinity and there, see there what kind of numbers they come up with. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, no, I, I, sometimes it's my, it's my little joke when someone says, I disagree uh, with the church teaching. They just kind of leave it and j- put it in general terms. And I say, you know what? The two quoque has always been a real struggle for me and myself. <laughs> <laughs> they look at me like, I'm, you know, like yes, a, yes. just bizarre. But historically speaking, there, right. there was more right. foment about those kinds of questions Absolutely. than about the centuries ob- of, of centuries. monks marauding others. <laughs> Violence, war, <laughs> you know, bloodshed, angst, you know, mutual excommunications and all the rest. The morality that certainly is is vital and we need to kind of address, but historically speaking, is doesn't hold a candle to some right. of those early church right. Uh, right. <laughs> early right. church things. Right. Um, now, is I, I know uh, is there are there um, aspects as you uh, go into the bishop? I don't know, I, I, for lack of a better term, um, perks of the job, so to speak, as you as you go into the into the job. I know there's there are ways in which um, perhaps you haven't you can't even answer this, not being actually bishop yet, you know. <laughs> I don't know okay. Um, okay. if there are perks to the job. I, I suspect a perk will be um, meeting so many different people mm. in the Archdiocese of San Francisco yeah. um, and getting to know parish communities and getting a, a sense of, of this church. Also, I'm, I like to learn, and I think that being part of the Bishop's Conference mm. will be a learning experience. Yeah. I'm going to my first Bishop's Conference meeting just a week after I'm ordained. Oh, wow. oh yeah, that's, in, that's in the middle of June, isn't it? It's the it? middle of June. Yeah. So I, I don't you know, know what kind of committees I'll end up on. I have some interests and everything. Okay. On the other hand, I'm scared by the two-inch thick oh, pile of paper. That It's not the binder. It's oh, just it's the a paper without the binder. Oh, my gosh. It's huge. <laughs> um, but... Uh, I know many bishops. I've taught many bishops mm. in this country, and I know many others, and so on. And so, um, it will be interesting to see how that uh, dynamic works. And I, I don't want to believe that there's a huge amount of politics in okay. the conference. So there is certainly some, sure. but I think that, um, as you were saying about the provincial council, yeah. um, we all want to own, you know, a, a thriving church community here, and there's lots of challenges. In a church as big as the United States of America, the challenges are enormous. Yeah. But it will be a, a great learning experience, I think. And so I'm looking forward, just sure. from the personal point yeah. of view, of uh, learning Meeting about people. things. And did you know Archbishop uh, Corleone before yes. this time? Yes, I yeah. knew him when he was a seminarian. Oh, wow. Because in Rome, we have a group uh, that we call the Calneva Club, just like okay. the old casino up I was going to say, isn't that a, isn't that a casino? <laughs> um, it was founded, you went to the, went to the casino the together? No, no, no. No, no. <laughs> no. It was founded in the 70s by two Monsignors, one okay. from Orange and one from Reno. And uh, it basically uh, is open to all the seminarians and priests and bishops and religious brothers and so on who are in Rome from California and Nevada. We get together periodically for Mass and then for dinner. So um, This is when you were a seminarian too? Yeah. Okay. And, and, well, no, I knew I was a priest. Okay. Sal was a seminarian. Okay. Call him Sal. Okay. (laughs) Um, So... 
but I was the coordinator of the group for about 20 years. Oh, and wow. the Jesuit uh, Steve Pisano from Burlingame uh-huh. uh, was coordinator, and that was another Jesuit, Tom Carroll from San Francisco, who oh, was sure. the coordinator. And um, so there's very good attendance. The North American College, the Dominicans, the Jesuits, and other groups come. And Cardinal Levate has always been very, very stalwart in coming to uh, it. Oh, neat. So, um, so I've, I've known Sal for, for a long time. Not well. Sure. You know, saw him periodically, and sure. he was always very pleasant and yeah. everything. And then uh, he stayed in Calneva when he came back to Rome to work uh, as a canon lawyer and uh, so on. So he had a career in Rome before he went to San Diego as auxiliary bishop. Okay. So um, so I have known him. As I say, not as a close, close friend, but I've known him, and it's been pleasant. And the relationship between, obviously, the archbishop and an auxiliary bishop, do you kind of work, how closely do you actually work on it? Or you, I guess you maybe not know. I it's have a, no idea. It's, it's, it's be... all a matter of development, <laughs> okay, right? I, okay. I go tomorrow to make my profession okay, of faith, okay. <laughs> and uh, I'll find out a few more things after I've professed everything. There, there you go. <laughs> Very good. Well, Father, it's been just fantastic to have you uh, with us uh, today, and we certainly are, as Dominicans, so proud that, uh, in a sense, one of our own is going to be, especially in San Francisco, a native son and uh, someone who, through whatever challenges that you know our culture has and our and our city needs, that uh, you will, will be you'll be with us, guiding us, and that uh, we'll experience the joy of your continuing. Well, I'm very fraternity. glad to be living in St. Dominic's yes. and to feeling the prayerful support of the community. Yeah. And I would just ask those who are listening to this to uh, keep me and keep the archdiocese in prayer as well, because uh, I'm not in this alone. Exactly. So so we uh, hope as we come to the end of our show today that you've been edified and that all that you do truly radiates the joy here in the heart of the city. Amen? Amen. <laughs>